I'm Grace, the Amy Santiago of Royal Bloggers. And I'm Jessica, the Dorothy's Borana of Royal Bloggers. And we'd like to welcome you to On Air, the podcast where two cynical Brits discuss the latest royal news and the truth behind the story. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the On Air podcast. We really hope that you enjoyed our special extended edition on the Platitube last week. But we are going in the direction of something equally as celebratory this week. We, there are wedding bells ringing. So if, if, imagine if you were in a relationship with somebody for like three years and an older woman in particular said to you, oh, you've been going out with Jimmy for a long time. Do I need to buy a new hat? Would you know that what that means? Yes. Yes. Okay. Right. So yeah, it's a kind of a thing. I, I think it's an older generation thing. My grandmother used to say it all the time to anyone who'd been in a relationship for more than three minutes. It means, are you going to have a wedding that I'm going to have to buy a hat to wear at the wedding? And so, you know, I feel like we've got to get some new hats is basically what I'm trying to say. <laughs> um, you should because- get stuck up in our hats, like owning ship. I've never worn a hat to a wedding ever. Um, but it's a phrase. So, so the first sort of wedding news that we had on uh, over the last week is the engagement of Princess Marta Louise and uh, Derek Verret or Verret, uh, Verret, Verret. I might say Verret, but I don't know. Durette, it might be French and Verret, but we'll say Derek Verret. Um, so, I just want to give a little trigger warning to start, which is that we might be talking a little bit about suicide in this section. I pivoted very quickly from weddings there, um, <laughs> but it, uh, we, it won't be like a graphic description. It won't be in too much detail. And I think you'll probably be able to skip like the first 10 minutes or so. And it shouldn't be mentioned after that point. I wouldn't have thought, um, but just wanted to give people a bit of a heads up. So. For those who don't know, who is Marta Louise? So Marta Louise is the eldest child of King Harold and Queen Sonia of Norway. Um, even though she's the eldest child, she's not heir to the throne. You can go back and listen to episode 11 to find out more about that. So she was married before. She was married in 2002 to um, the author and artist Ari Ben. They had three daughters and then divorced in 2017. And um, unfortunately, Ari Uh, died by suicide in 2019 on Christmas Day. So Marta Louise, I again in episode 11, I described her as just a weird lady. Um, (laughs) um, I say that with affection, but I she is a weird lady. She's a quirky person. And that's the most notable thing about Marta Louise. Um, So amongst the many things that have happened with Marta Louise over the years, she believes that she can communicate with the dead. She can believe she believes she can communicate with angels. She's into sort of spiritual healing. She believes she can talk to animals and not in the way that I talk to my cat, where I slow blink at him because I read once that it means I love you in cat language and he doesn't respond. It's not like that. She genuinely thinks she can talk like Dr. Doolittle to cat to cats and dogs and animals. So she's she's into all that sort of new age um, supernatural stuff. And my opinion of Marty Louise has always been. I could not spend more than 10 minutes or not even 10 minutes, 10 seconds in a room with that woman, because I think everything she does and says and believes is total nonsense. And I know she would irritate me and I would not be able to be polite in a room with her for a very long period of time. But I also have this kind of weird affection for her. It sounds really bad. I always forget about Martha Louise, because when you have, 
you know, if you look at the European sort of heirs and their siblings, they've got these really kind of strong relationships or um, volatile relationships. And Marta Louise is just there living her best life, completely different from the rest of her family. Um, and then she rocks up and you're like, oh, yes, you exist and you're weird. And I kind <laughs> of like you, but also I'm scared a bit. I've always liked her that she was quirky and different in herself. So I'd always liked her as kind of a weird person, even though I don't agree with anything she says. I find her funny and interesting and um, different. But yeah, she's 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 an odd woman. And, you know, she's kind of had a few issues in the past. I think she's actually she's more popular in Norway than she would be if she was the same person in Britain, I think. I think she's she's on that line of being like sort of endearingly eccentric and being annoying and gullible. And I think in Norway, she falls on the line of endearingly eccentric. And I think in Britain, she would be far into annoying and gullible. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think, you know, I think she's always come across as a very sort of strong woman. I think she would have grown up knowing she was the oldest, but not the heir. And I think, you know, we spoke about do, you know, does is being the heir sort of something that's going to shape your personality and I wonder with whether or not Marta Louise would be as eccentric as she is if she'd been the heir but I think she's had that sort of element of freedom and she's perfectly happy to support her family but also just to live her kind of private life with her children. The Norwegian royal family are incredibly popular and I think that Marta Louise hasn't like done anything to damage that. Uh, you know, when you hear about who, who she is and the kind of things that she does, I think there might be an attitude of like, oh, well, surely she's like the black sheep of the family. She's the one nobody likes. She's the one that um, uh, causes all the controversy. She must occupy a similar role to like Harry in the UK. But actually, th that doesn't really seem to be the case. She seems to still be relatively popular considering all the weird stuff she does. <laughs> Even though she is weird and wacky, there are, I think particularly after sort of Ari's death and the way she kind of protected her children but also supported them and I think was one of those things that kind of everyone who saw it was like okay that was good so I think you know even the people who were like she's a bit weird gained a lot of respect for her then if they didn't already have it. Yeah and I think actually she's probably just a bit more open about beliefs that I actually think a lot of royals have maybe they don't think they can talk to the dead or anything like that but you know over in the UK the Queen and Prince Charles are both very into like alternative medicine and some that's you know completely pseudoscientific and Charles in particular um if you look at a little bit further you know a little bit into history you've got like Rasputin in uh, Russia <laughs> and his hold over the Tsarina so like I think monarchies actually do have kind of a history of being interested in that kind of new age new, uh, stuff. It's just that Marta Louise, I think, is open about it in a way that other royals probably are not. So then we move on to her new fiance, um, who, so he calls himself Shaman Jurek. He's a shaman. He's a self-appointed, self-proclaimed shaman. But I did find out through the course of doing some research for this that he was born Derek, which I find hilarious. Yes, me too, and Derek, question mark. <laughs> I love it's just like the least mystical name I can imagine like Derek <laughs> I think and his surname wasn't for it was like Vaughan his no. name was like Derek Vaughan Derek and Vaughan. he changed it to Jarek Varek yeah 
Um, yeah, so he is a self-proclaimed shaman. Uh, he's part of that whole um, Gwyneth Paltrow wellness movement. He was kind of Gwyneth Paltrow's um, go-to spiritual healer. I mean, where do I really even begin <laughs> with Derek? And, you know, in some ways, I think when we talk about Derek or anybody talks about Derek, I think some people are very critical of him. And I will get to the point to, uh, to explain why I think that he, that is deserved. But I also think that they sometimes forget about Marta Louise. And like the two of them both believe in all of this nonsense. They both believe in all of this pseudoscientific spiritual nonsense. But I think Marta Louise's stuff, it's like, it's like clairvoyance, essentially, is a big part of what she does, which is very long established. And also, like, if you've lost somebody, I mean, I don't believe that there is an afterlife, so I don't believe that people can communicate with you through it. But I also think that if you are grieving and the thing that helps you cope is to go and pay money to get somebody to talk to your dead relative, like, that's that's fine. Like, is it a bit gross that somebody might be manipulating you um, and that they don't actually communicate with your dead relatives yeah sure but I also think that you know everybody in that relationship kind of goes into it knowing that what's happening and it can provide help to people it doesn't really have any actual harm um you know in, in, you know inherently whereas I think the difference is that direct his work causes harm so yes. For example, he wrote a book and he said this many, many times over the years, but he wrote a book um, and he's amongst other things in that he kind of encouraged cancer patients not to have chemotherapy. He said that um, if you get a disease like cancer, it's your essentially something you want it, you wanted to have it. Um, and that if you're not cured from it, that it's because you're not trying hard enough to be well, which I think is... I mean, um, go to a, a child cancer ward and tell a six-year-old that they wanted to have this cancer and they just don't want to get better. Like, that's so deeply offensive. It's one of those few things that, like, even if you're being sort of edgy, you don't say. And it's also something not that many people genuinely believe. So either he doesn't believe it and he's being cruel or he genuinely believes it. And he is one of very few people in the world who genuinely thinks that cancer is almost like a mental punishment he works with a lot of female clients and uh he works to sort of clean them i say that in quotation marks because um specifically if they've had casual sex because um in his view having casual sex or women having casual sex specifically physically and like spiritually marks you and you have to then pay lots of money to get him to clean you and I think I mean I'm gonna say this is alleged because I'm not 100% sure how true it is but allegedly he had women he has women who are clients of his sign a waiver so that he's allowed to touch their genitals and their private parts uh, as part of his process which is a little bit dodgy <laughs> It's all these things you don't want to do, really. Yeah. So, you know, there's there's some offensiveness in there. There's some kind of encouraging people to do things that are damaging for their health, like encouraging cancer patients not to get chemotherapy. Um, there's kind of a bit of misogyny in there. I think there's also a little bit of borderline anti-Semitism because he believes that he is a reptilian 
which is an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory. Um, and he also believes in the 5G conspiracy theory. And like, I don't, I'm not saying that he is necessarily openly or would describe himself as anti-Semitic or set, thinks that he's anti-Semitic, but those conspiracy theories are so intertangled with um, anti-Semitism that it's very difficult to, um, it, it's, it's kind of ignorance for people to repeat them without realizing that they are anti-Semitic, um, which is also obviously concerning. And like, none of these things are things that I've seen Marta Louise talk about either. Like, she's a bit weird, but she hasn't said any of that sort of stuff. Oh, I was gonna say, and I think, you know, the way people who have known Jarek in his life before his relationship with Marta Louise haven't, you know, they've not been positive about him. There were accusations of physical abuse from, towards, uh, from him, towards them from both one of his exes and one of his employees. Um, and the police got involved and nothing came of it, but the police were involved. He, his, he's bisexual, so he's dated men and women in the past. And one of his male exes described him as being violent and dangerous. And one of his female exes said he was very focused on being controlling. Um, he, his first wife, um, he reported to immigration um which resulted in her being deported i did not know this until i did research for this episode i knew all the abuse allegations but i didn't know that he got his own so he was like 31 32 he married a 21 year old and then a few years later he called immigration on her and had her deported <laughs> like whoa like i mean even if she's a horrible person like that seems a bit you married her quite frankly yeah <laughs> that seems a bit dodgy when i first started learning about Jarek and you know we'll talk about that in a minute but when I first started learning about it I saw a lot of criticism on him and not much criticism on Marta Louise and I kind of thought like well they're actually not you know people are talking about how he believes all this mumbo jumbo and he's a charlatan and it was like I agree yeah he, he is a charlatan but also so is Marta Louise because she believes all of this same stuff and that was my position at the beginning and then over time more and more information came out and particularly sort of the the misogyny the the promoting vulnerable scared pe sick people to do things that are actively damaging to their health um and kind of the accusations of emotional and physical abuse from some of the people in his past all of those things to me take it to a different level from Marta Louise like she's just pottering about thinking she can talk to squirrels he's telling people <laughs> who are sick that the way that they're it's their fault that they're not trying hard enough to get better and i'm sure that trying harder will also translate to giving him a lot of money i mean he also comes up with some really funny things i mean are equally bizarre but i mean uh, there was a period where he was talking about how in a past life he was previously married to Marta louise except they were in ancient egypt and he was a pharaoh and she was his queen probably means they were brother and sister by the way <laughs> all the time where he spoke about how a time his mum clearly and this is 100 percent definitely true had a vision back when he was 15 that he would grow up and fall in love with the princess of Norway which I mean if it is true his mum really should have got a career as a fortune teller but yeah let's kind of move into their relationship a bit more specifically so their relationship was first announced in May 2019 and I would say ever since then it's kind of been plagued by controversy yeah so they announced it on Instagram very modern on um, US Mother's Day, and obviously Jarek is uh, American, um, with some brilliant um, phrases in there like twin flame and multi-dimensional self. And I just want someone to recognize my multi-dimensional self, Grace. That's all I want. They announced their relationship in May 2019. And um, funnily enough, 
um, right before, right after they announced their relationship, they also announced that they were doing a series of tours together, some spiritual seminars, uh, which were called The Princess and the Shaman. Classic name. Classic name. Um, and I think that's where a lot of the initial criticism came from, is that it wasn't just here I am with my boyfriend. It was here I am with my boyfriend, who is also a shaman. Um, apparently and also uses all of this nonsense language that I use but like 10 times worse and um, we are now going on a tour where we are going to make money you know selling these ideas it opened up a conversation which has happened quite a few times it wasn't specifically just because of this series of seminars they were giving um, but it did open up the conversation about kind of um, Marta Louise's title and whether or not she should be allowed to advertise the tour as the princess and the shaman and use her title to essentially make private financial gain. And um, like it became a massive talking point in Norway. There was even like Norwegian press set up outside the buildings where they were doing their seminars, doing live streams from outside the <laughs> building. It's like, look, this is a building and things are happening inside. I don't think that they helped themselves massively because they gave, I would say I heard more interviews from Jarek and Marta Louise over like the first three months of their relationship than I've heard from William and Kate in the last 10 years. They talked a lot and Jarek spoke constantly about how the king and queen love him. Uh, he talked very, very graphically about their sex life. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know far too much about that. I know far too much about it that I need to know. And I think that is something that naturally would be controversial in any monarchy, in any situation for a new relationship to be announced and then immediately followed by a money-making opportunity and a ton of press interviews where you give very indiscreet details and talk all about the, the monarchy. I think that like, it was natural that that was going to cause a little bit of controversy. But I also, at that point in time, I was kind of like, well, Marta Louise is never gonna bring somebody normal home and <laughs> people forget they didn't so much at that time but a few months later they did because Ari was also a weird guy her first husband he was a quirky guy he also caused, changed his name yeah he caused a lot of controversy <laughs> and was quite unconventional and I think there was a certain whitewashing after he died of like oh no Ari was perfect you know I understand why that happens but I, I think at the, anyway, this, at the initial stage of their relationship, even though there was a lot of red flags, um, I was also kind of thinking like, well, this is just her choice. And like, she's into weird stuff. So I can't really judge him for being into weird stuff. So I'll try and, you know, see what happens and what develops. But I suppose the press didn't really give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, yeah, the press went straight in. Yes, I think um, as a result of the Princess and the Shaman tour, that was when the sort of official decision was that she is Princess Martha, uh, Martha Louise. But when she does her weird kooky work, she's Martha Louise. Um, and she even set up another Instagram, so she has two. She has her Princess Martha Louise Instagram and her I am Martha Louise Instagram, just so you can, you know, follow Princess One and Kooky One, which is always fun. I think it's actually interesting to think about the royal response because, you know, the press were massively... Uh, interested in this and the royal family initially were very very cautious I would say they were sort of like you know we look forward to meeting him and uh, we're happy for Marta Louise and that kind of stuff <laughs> I do think that that kind of changed over the next few months 
they start March Louise and Jurek started to become very critical of the press and the way that the press spoke about them. And then you had a response from uh, Hakon, who was like, oh, well, I, I value the role of a free press in Norway. <laughs> um, and then like when Jurek released a book where he said about how, you know, he said some of his th thoughts on cancer and various other serious illnesses being the fault of the person who has them, Hakon was like, oh, I disagree with his approach. And I would always start with Norwegian healthcare and medicine. <laughs> So like from the beginning, it was an onslaught of attacks and things from the press, which they kind of responded to not very well. And it was a very tense and horrible relationship. But the royal family throughout all of this was just kind of like, we're just going to be really nice to everyone. <laughs> I also think I read some polls and actually like the vast majority of people in Norway at that time didn't want Marta Louise to, use, to lose her princess title. They were supportive of her being able to carry on with her businesses and have a princess title. So like... It was mostly the press who were who were talking a lot about this relationship and um, being quite critical of it. But I would say things did start to heat up a little bit towards the end of 2019. Marta Louise's lawyers and Direct's lawyers tried to get some of the accusations of abuse that we talked about earlier shut down. They tried to get people involved to sign an NDA. And so Marta Louise's lawyers were involved. It wasn't just Direct. And um, there was also a thing where like Jurek told the Norwegian press he would only speak to them if they signed a contract agreeing to be positive about him, which like there's normally a bit of quid pro quo in any interview. You expect that you'll get a positive coverage, but you, it, you know, as the Norwegian royal family responded, like they don't do that where they require people to be positive about them before an interview. That was one of the first times that the, that the court kind of publicly broke ranks and criticized him, I suppose, because he said the court had advised him to do it. And they were like, we don't do that and no we didn't 2019 was a very um uh yeah tense time for them but i think it does concern me slightly to have marta louise's lawyers involved in trying to get somebody to be given an nda like if it's not true i suppose you can sue them but an nda is a, i don't know there's something about that that's like it's shutting down people without actually answering the accusation yeah, and I think particularly because as royals, which Marta Louise is a royal and, you know, Jarek was in a, is in a relationship with a royal, there is an expectation to represent people and be held accountable by people. Yeah. And if you are giving people NDAs, then they can't hold you accountable if you are committed, you know, if you're doing something wrong. But then I think things kind of calmed down in the first part of 2020. Jurek actually said uh, that he'd misjudged things. He apologized. He made, said he'd made mistakes. He said he hadn't taken very long to, you know, he hadn't taken the time to learn about Norwegian culture and kind of what was appropriate to say in interviews and things like that. But of course, it did not last long. <laughs> so in June of 2020, um, that was, I think you have to remember what was going on at that time. So there was kind of, the Black Lives Matter protests were really sort of kicking off. And, you know, Drek is a black man. And so, and white, uh, Marta Louise is a white Scandinavian woman. And I think that, you know, it was a big talking point at that time. And so the two of them kind of um, shared this post where they talked about how they've been subjected to huge amounts of racism and, um, you know, that most of the criticism, if not all of the criticism that had been 
waged their way um, had been the result of racism. And, you know, there was some really interesting parts of the, the of what they said, you know, Marcelo is kind of saying that she hadn't realized how the experiences of a black person until she started dating somebody, you know, she'd always just sort of, she'd never been that close to it, I suppose. And so there were some really interesting parts of it. Like you said, I think Marta Louise's Instagram post was very, actually very sort of well written. Yeah. I think she was clearly getting across a message and it was, she did, I mean, I'm not saying it was a crafted re- uh, response, even though it clearly was, but it's one of these things where it ticked every box that you needed it to. It was emotive. It, um, she admitted to some things that she'd done wrong. She spoke about how she'd had sort of subconscious sort of thoughts before and acted in a way towards people of colour that she wouldn't have thought of was racist. And now she's with a black man. She realised they were. Um, she was very um, explicit in some of the things that happened to them. Um, and yet she somehow managed to make it a bit Marta Louise-esque. I think she did that thing where she takes what is essentially a very powerful post and she was like, went off, went on a bit about how he um, loves her as a woman. Um, and I think the big thing was when she essentially was like, and this came from both of them, even though it was obviously on Marta Louise's Instagram, they were like, and Norway is racist, like categorically, rather than that kind of, we have been, you know, the recipients of racism in Norway, which I think are two different statements. I have absolutely no doubt that Jurek has experienced racism in Norway and outside of Norway. Like, I'm not gonna deny his experiences. And I think I've seen that myself, like, and I don't think people think they were they were being racist but like I saw some comments a while back that I talked about um on my blog and I think it's important that they are able to speak about that I think that you know it's important that they're able to not always be like Norway Norway's the greatest country in the world and you know recognize some of the difficult parts of of the country as every country has but I also think that Jurek has been accused by two people of being physically and emotionally abusive. He has lied about his career. He's told people who've got cancer that they shouldn't have chemotherapy. He's told people who have got cancer that they just wanted it and that it's their own fault and that they aren't getting better because they want to die, essentially. I I think those are valid things. You know, preying on vulnerable people to make money for yourself. That is really dangerous behavior and it deserves to be called out there's this attitude that they both have particularly since 2020 of like it's us against the world everybody who dislikes us and criticizes us just doesn't understand us and is racist yes in her sort of instagram post she said uh people thinking they aren't racist but don't know anyone with a different skin color than their own apart from people working for them Mm -hmm. how it is assumed that jurek is not a good person who actually loves me but has manipulated me into loving him and keeps manipulating me in our relationship how he would exploit me financially. The press presents him as a liar, being violent and a threat to my family and myself, sharing scrupulously his ex's story without checking facts because it supports the belief system we already have in place about him. That is racism. And while I don't doubt that when the press, Mm. someone in that press would have had racist thoughts and were like, oh, you know what? Black guys, get rid of him. Yeah. But even if you say only one of these sort of many allegations against Jureka real some of which have come from him for example the curing cancer one I think that's still a legitimate reason for a lot of people to be like hang on a sec I don't like him and yeah I think that's where you're you'll have you have essentially someone coming from 
a white person coming from an exceptionally privileged position and a black man who has got some very harmful and dangerous views um, and who are essentially coming to this realization during you know one of the biggest sort of civil unrest racial movements of the 21st century and it was just a sort of like a melting pot of all sort all things that are right and not necessarily coming up with the right reason at the end of it it's such a difficult conversation to have and I'm sure that I will have said something here that was wrong or potentially offensive and I apologize for that but I just think that there needs to be a more of a nuanced conversation about like yes there is racism and how do you call that out and how do you speak about it but also there are legitimate reasons why people don't particularly like him and you can't bury your head in the sand about those things kind of die down after that until their announcement of their engagement on the 7th of June the royal family sent their congratulations very diplomatic as always interestingly they gave an interview to People magazine and sort of exclusively shared photographs and um, details of the proposal and everything, but they refused to give any information to the Norwegian press. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, the the engagement took place in the US, apparently in like some, like the grounds of a music company and they played music for them. It was apparently very lovely. Um, So it makes sense that the sort of, there was news that went straight to um, the American press because that's where they were, except um, as, for example, you know, Harry and Meghan, when uh, they did things, for example, when they showed off Archie, they represented the British people. Obviously, they were in Britain, but also had an American sort of person there because Meghan is American and she wanted that nod to her family and her life, Um, except they've kind of done this in reverse and uh, they've just done America and were like, yeah, not not you, Norway. You don't get to be part of this. There's still obviously a lot of animosity between Marta Louise and uh, Derek and the Norwegian press in particular. But we got some photographs. I think the thing everybody wants to talk about when it comes to engagements is the ring. So I don't really know what most of the things about rings mean. All I know is that it was an emerald and it was very, very... I'm not usually a fan of coloured gemstones, but I think it was very beautiful. Um, I don't like coloured gemstones and I think I've always liked um Eugenie's ring so and I've always been like it's so weird it's everything I hate in a ring and I liked it and then I saw this one I was like okay and I like this one as well I suppose I like two of them yeah yeah and it has some things on it so like there's an infinity sign somewhere on it so obviously you know their relationship will last for infinity and they've known each other through multiple lifetimes blah 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 um there's like four stones which represent the or four diamonds I think I don't know to represent the elements which is very sort of new agey and spiritual like them apparently he showed it to Gwyneth Paltrow before he dropped that in um to get her approval for some reason I'm so glad she liked it the two people who need approval King Harold and Gwyneth Paltrow Yeah, apparently, apparently so, which is a very weird anecdote to drop in. But thanks for reminding us that you know Gwyneth. But yeah, it was a, it was a beautiful, beautiful ring. He did a, a very good job. The ring was like a weird, perfect mixture between being like the endearingness of people who believe in talking to animals and also completely bizarre because, you know, it had 12 diamonds sort of around the four diamonds to protect them from negativity. But then right next to that, there were three diamonds to represent Martha Louise's children which is a very sweet nod and um and yet also they were talking a lot about how you know emeralds represent sort of eternal love and 
it was it was a really weird mix when you read through the sort of information about the ring because half of it was like and this is a really touching nod to Martinez's family and this is about their love and the other bits were like so in gemstone theory <laughs> this means- it was actually very sort of on the face of it a very surprisingly traditional ring and you know when they talked about it they said that they look he looked he said he looked at royal engagement rings from the past and sort of but inspired by them as well as um all the gem theory stuff so I thought that you know it, it was surprising to me that it was so traditional but then there were obviously those you know the things in there that to me it's just like oh that's a pretty diamond to them it was like oh no but this diamond wards off evil spirits it's like, oh okay uh <laughs> sure obviously it's just been announced so we don't know any details about like a wedding it's safe to say that there will be some sort of photograph sale I would have thought even if it's just like people magazine where they post the fo- they share the photographs and they sell them to them I think there'll be something but I don't know I, I I was talking to somebody about this the other day and like the idea of King Harold being photographed next to like some naked shamanic priestess <laughs> I, I he's a I love King Harold to pieces he's my favorite monarch and he's been very chill about this whole thing he's always just been like well Marta Liesl who married who she wants to marry and that's it you know, by according to Direct, there has been no negativity from any member of the royal family at any point. So, you know, I think he would be as encouraging as he can be. But like, does he want to be in a photograph with somebody who's got some sort of dodgy spiritual practice that's a bit, you know, do, you know, a bit, uh, a bit legally dicey? Or does he want to be in a photograph with Gwyneth Paltrow? Yeah, so like the only thing I'm confident about is that Gwyneth Paltrow will be at the wedding. Everything else yeah. will be up in the air, which yeah. is quite nice. I personally think Gwyneth Paltrow should go to all royal weddings. <laughs> um, She's good friends with Meta Marit. Yeah, so why not? She just hang out with yeah. Princess Gwyneth. Um, I think it, it's, it's a very tricky one, I think, for them, because not only are they having to balance the two cultures of Norway and America, they're also having to balance the being a member of a royal family and being a shaman and also this is obviously neither their first marriage but Marta Louise's previous marriage gave her three children and her ex-husband has died he obviously he um, committed suicide so I think even if they were both rich Norwegian people there is that extra added sensitivity around sort of remarrying when your children have lost their father and I think Marta Louise and Jarek have both been very um, open about sort of Ari is mm-hmm. the children's father and Jarek is kind of, he's there and he gets on well with the children, but he's not taking on that sort of fathership role, which I think is, you know, fine. And they've both been very open and honest about that. But I think it's going to be a hard balance <laughs> to balance these essentially like five, six different big sort of important pillars of who they all are into one ceremony it wouldn't surprise me if they had two if they had like a royal one and then a shaman run like on a beach somewhere I'm looking forward to it just because I think it will be bananas and uh you know a royal wedding unlike any other um we are going to be looking at a wedding which happened actually in the middle of the jubilee celebrations but um that was frankly really inconvenient timing for us so we just held back a week um and we are looking at the wedding of prince gustav of uh, saint wittgenstein and brillberg or uh, denmark 
and uh, Karina Axelson, who got married um, at the start of June after having been together for very uh, quite a long time. Um, and their wedding was particularly noticeable because of some of the things that happened sort of during their engagement. Because Gustav, who is the uh, hereditary prince of essentially Germany, of the eight billion German princely titles. Do you know Germany from now on? But yes. Um, so he is the son of the former sort of prince of uh, Sein Wittgenstein and Brillenburg and uh, Princess Benedict of Denmark, which is the link, um, has um, got a very interesting um, inheritance clause hanging over his head, which has very much impacted on his life in a way that not very many other modern Western uh, royals have got sort of these kind of locks on who they can or cannot marry. Yeah, they've they've been in a relationship for 19 years um, before marrying. As we've mentioned, Gustav's family are German. Uh, his grandfather was a Nazi. The princely, the German princely title. I mean, there's like a bajillion German princes and of various different provinces that used to exist as separate countries or separate uh, duchies or whatever uh none of those titles really mean anything anymore so um you might sort of think well why does it matter um about inheritance and all that sort of stuff but these titles come with property a castle which is very nice so there's still kind of something that is inherited uh across the generations and the current Gustav's uh, grandfather we have was a Nazi and he left a will stating that in order for his son and grandson to inherit the property and the things that go along with that he they would have to marry somebody who was protestant noble and Aryan, so white basically um and as you know karina is uh, an american author a former model she is a commoner she has uh, mexican roots so she is essentially none of those things um she's the opposite Yes. And so essentially for the last 19 years, if Gustav had married Karina, he would have lost, that was the assumption anyway, he would have lost the right to the property that he had inherited. I mean, obviously people can live together for 19 years and not get married and that's absolutely fine. You don't like Beatrice Borromeo's parents never married, but there was always the sense that they wanted to marry, but couldn't because Gustav would have lost the right to the property that he had. But throughout that whole time, they lived together openly as a couple. If, you know, they hadn't had this clause hanging over them, they might have decided just not to marry or they might have decided to get married straight away. But because the clause was there and it was such a frankly racist clause. Yes. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of people sort of saw it and were like, well, why doesn't he just give up his inheritance? But I think, you know, particularly as there is no kind of like monarchy of sign Wittgenstein and Brillenberg anymore um like that is his sort of link to his ancestors it's would be for his future children and it's yeah it is where his money is that he that castle is worth a lot of money yeah so through through their 19 year courtship they were yeah they were living together openly they didn't marry because um essentially all of his money and is tied up in um this property uh, and you know he you don't have to marry it's fine like you don't you don't have to marry you can still be in love with somebody <laughs> and 
happy with somebody and everything. And yeah, throughout that those whole 19 years, they were very well accepted by the um, the Danish royal family who Gustav's aunt is Queen Margrethe. So his first cousin is uh, Crown Prince Frederick. Um, you know, Karina uh, went to Danish royal events as his partner. She uh, wore tiaras at those events. Um, you know, so throughout that whole 19 year span, you know, there was no, the only thing that was different was that they couldn't marry. Over, It's not like Gustav just sat back and was like, oh, well, you know, I just won't marry her, but she'll stay my girlfriend so that I can keep the, the property. This is all great. Like they contested the will multiple times over the years, but ultimately the decision, every time that they did it, it failed because the decision was that like, yes, this will is racist, but it was legally valid at the time that it was made and it's somebody's individual will. And so essentially it was like, well, he can be racist in that individual will. Every day there will be wills made where someone's going to go, well, I don't think that's right. So it's one of those weird things where you're like, everyone I imagine read that went, well, that seems a bit dodgy and they should change it. But it's one of those things where like, if you do change one, then it opens that kind of slippery slope to opening all the wills. Being Protestant and noble is not actually an unusual requirement for that kind of family particularly the deposed monarchies who don't actually have it, it doesn't actually mean anything anyway, they seem to take things like that very seriously. And there are other houses, uh, princely houses, where that is the norm, that you have to marry somebody who is noble. And, you know, up until very recently in the UK, you had to marry somebody who was, who was well, actually, no, you couldn't marry somebody who was Catholic. You didn't have to marry somebody who was Protestant, but you couldn't marry somebody who was Catholic. So the only part that really is, I don't think any other royal family has attempted is the Aryan part. Um, that I think even the British royal family would be like, oh, that's too far. Um, <laughs> yeah, bit far for us. Bit far. Um, but it's not on, you know, it's not like the rest of it wasn't co- what was completely unusual. Like that's actually quite a common um, thing in a lot of houses in that part of the world. It just wasn't very successful for a long time. But then in 2018, Gustav's father died and Gustav inherited the estate. And then that led to a dispute between Gustav and his father's cousin, Prince Ludwig Ferdinand. Ludwig Ferdinand challenged Gustav in court and basically said he shouldn't have inherited the property uh, because he was living with Karina as in com- essentially a common law marriage, um, which was violating the will. And uh, a court case ruled in the court case ruled in summer of 2020 that when at the point when Gustav inherited the castle he would not he had not broken the will he was not married at all so he hadn't broken the will now he'd inherited it so he was free to do what he liked and he was given a certificate of ownership to basically say that he owned the property so I think you know some people might have assumed that once he'd inherited it the, the you know the rules still applied and he couldn't then in the future marry somebody who violated any of those rules but it was only that he couldn't inherit it yeah I always think you know like I could write a will tomorrow and put in there that you know my sister gets all of my money if she does this like I can put any clause in my will but I can't then like also put in a clause that says but if she then does something I don't like from beyond the grave she has to give it back like once it's it's, it's kind of like that gift of a law like a, a gift and um, the law of a gift like if you give a gift it belongs to that person so 
So once um, Gustav had inherited a castle, like it's his, he can't just be like, well, now you've upset me, so give it back. Like it's his castle. So um, it, it opened up the um, opportunity for him to get married, which I always think, you know, must. And I, I also, I'm kind of obsessed with the fact they got a certificate of ownership because I know it's not an actual certificate I know it's like documents but I do just kind of imagine someone turned up with like a certificate you give at an assembly like there you go <laughs> put it on the fridge yeah <laughs> oh I hope so um that would be great but yeah so I think um you know they were unlucky or they were unsuccessful in trying to strike down the will itself because essentially it's racist but it was legal when it was made um but then in a weird way Ludwig Ferdinand being a little bit of a, a nuisance um, actually ended up being the best thing for it because um, if he hadn't brought that court case, he, you know, Gustav might not have got that certificate of ownership and sort of a confirmation from the court that he owns it and owned it legally and is free to do whatever he wants. And I just think like, how desperate do you have to be to want to live in that castle to go to court and say, yeah, but he's not marrying a rich or an aristocratic Protestant white woman. So, you know, I should get it. Like that's, you have to be really desperate for the castle to be able to go into court and try and use Nazi rules to defend yourself. Yeah, especially to like put your name to it, be like, no, I'm definitely in the right here. This man has illegally stolen my castle because he loves someone. Yeah, and it isn't Nazi. <laughs> yeah, so then I suppose at that point they were kind of free um, legally to, to marry. And so there was, I think, I think they probably, you know, that was in summer of 2020 and it was, I think obviously there was a pandemic. Um, and so it was actually relatively recently that it was announced that they were going to get married. Yeah. I feel like it has li- literally only just happened when the wedding happened. It yeah. clearly was a little bit of time before that. Um, yes. So they married in Bad Berleberg. Is that how you say it? I hope so because that's a great name. I know it sounds like a like a mobster in a movie, like he's or or like a cowboy, you know, like Sundance Kid yeah. and Bad Berleberg. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't actually know. Is that a town? I I think so. Yeah, like a. I th- I think town. Okay, and I'm assuming you know some connection to the family, given Berleberg is in their title, and the name is Berleberg. I really should have looked up more of this information but I did not it's just a town I've just googled it okay cool that's good to know thank you and so they had a civil ceremony and a religious ceremony and um we kind of got an indication before that they weren't going to share anything but they did we got some photo we not a huge amount but we got a few photographs from the civil and the religious ceremonies so we got to see the dress which is what everyone is interested in yeah, no one actually cares about the wedding. They want to see the dress and the tiara, which, yeah, I was, I, I mean, I wasn't saying I was shocked. I wasn't, like, massively invested in the wedding, but I was surprised when they were, like, it's essentially going to be no press, no public, and we're just going to, like, sneak the royals in the side. Um, but I think they've unfortunately kind of had to live there. I don't want to say courtship, like, I'm in the 1800s, but their relationship in the public eye through no fault of their own like people have known they can't get married um because of this legal issue that's got nothing to do with them so I can definitely see why they were like you know what we're gonna have a private wedding we are finally gonna do something that is private yeah definitely definitely 
they're under no obligation. Like he's the nephew of the Queen of Denmark, but he's not a working royal. He, you know, he, he does have, and she's, you know, she writes books and she used to be a model. So she's relatively famous, you know, like low level, but she's got some level of fame and public profile anyway on her own. So I feel like, you know, there was bound to be interest and I'm really glad that they gave us some photographs, but at the same time, this was like just a private thing for them and they don't, they're, yeah, they're under no obligation to share anything because there's no taxpayers, you know, who can be angry about it really. Um, so anything they shared was a good, was a bonus. And because they sort of said like, it's going to be a private wedding, you know, all that sort of stuff. I hadn't expected anything. So the fact we got something I was really pleased about. And I mean, she looked, she looked beautiful. It was um, Birgit Holstein, I'm going to say uh dress who's a danish designer which was a nice little you know nod to denmark um it just it was very simple it you know lace sleeves that kind of grace kelly uh kate middleton vibe of the lace sleeve um but i think like we have to remember because they've been dating for 20 years she's in her 50s and i you know you're not gonna have like I mean, obviously, I'm not, no judgment. Like, you can wear whatever you want. This idea that, you know, there's something you're too old for or too young for is nonsense. But I think that a lot of women in their 50s don't feel comfortable wearing big, puffy white dresses that you might wear in your 20s. So I'm not surprised that it wasn't, like, outrageous. It, it's all, you know, it's one of those weird traditions. But, you know, like, wedding dresses kind of still have a very kind of, like, youthful edge to them I think and I think particularly a lot of royal wedding dresses go on that kind of like really sort of big floaty fairy tale princess which isn't the same vibe you're going to get on like a you know when you're marrying after having been in a relationship for you know the length of it time it takes someone to become an adult um and you're both older and it's more of a sort of confirmation of your love than a commitment like a lot of weddings are and she wore like the veil that she had had the family's coat of arms uh, which i think is a nice little touch i always like those sort of little um details that you don't necessarily have to you don't necessarily pick up on but if you do it's like a nice little kind of easter egg the uh, tiara at uh, the uh, saint wittgenstein brederberg tiara um which is obviously from gustav's family it's a family tiara it was created by i will pronounce this wrong sorry to everyone Kruter and company don't know if you pronounce it like that but I'm going with it um and because I think they're not not that we ever know all the providence of normal tiaras from normal families but they're not a reigning royal family so we don't know the exact sort of provenance of the tiara or why it was created or when it was created but as far as we know she's the only person to have definitively worn it in public so there's always a chance it was made for her maybe they just don't have any other tiaras and they had to get one or it could be you know something that was in that castle for the heir to wear at some point the heir's wife to wear so well like benedict of denmark who's uh gustav's mother will have already had her own tiaras so she might not have a huge amount of options but i don't know you know she's worn this tiara for lots of previous events for like a decade so, you know, it's not a new one for her. It's one she obviously feels comfortable wearing and she obviously likes how it looks on her. I do not like it. <laughs> no, it's it's a bit spiky. Mm -hmm. It's too small at the front. Like it's very concentrated at the front. 
and very spiky and I don't I don't like small tall tiaras really yeah I think it's one of these ones that you kind of feel like should be like a princess's first tiara you know kind of when you imagine an 18 year old to wear for their birthday not a 50 odd year old woman wearing for her wedding but clearly she likes it and it looks comfy and probably isn't as heavy as some of the bigger tiaras which for a long wedding day is probably sensible and I think you know there was lots of Danish royals who were in attendance and we even got in some of the official photographs you know Gustav and Karina with Crown Prince Frederick and Crown Princess Mary which I think reflects the fact that they have always supported the two of them as a couple throughout their entire courtship really yeah I think you know my favorite kind of like tidbit of their relationship is that Karina is the godmother of Princess Athena which I think you get a lot of kind of well, not, not in Britain, but in other families, you get, you know, girlfriends and boyfriends and partners sort of on the periphery, but they tend not to, t- and they might even be, you know, at weddings and things like that, but they tend not to take on those kind of godparent roles until they are solidly in the family. And I think Karina being made godmother was a very big deal. So I think she's clearly very close to the family. You know, like you said, Gustav is the cousin of um, Frederick and Mr. Marie. So yeah, Athena is Mr. Marie's daughter, so it's Gustav's first cousin's child, first cousin once removed. They had to have been very sure that even if they broke up, Karina was going to be a good, you know, amicable breakup sort of thing, because that's a big role to give to somebody. You know, you're going to have to look at the photographs from that event for the rest of your life, and you don't want somebody in there who you don't talk to anymore. You know, I really love that those families have, have recognised that there is something that is keeping these people apart, but it's not something that they necessarily support and it's just something they can't do anything about. And so they will do everything in their power to kind of make sure that these people feel included. I think that's a really lovely thing. Yeah, and it's something they very much don't have to do because they could always pull the like, ah, but this is us as royals, not us as a family card, but they haven't. They're like, nope, they are part of the family and that means they are doing everything that the family does. Well, the queen didn't go to Charles's wedding. (laughs) (laughs) but I suppose they weren't doing anything contrary to the church it was contrary to a Nazi's will so like fair enough um obviously they're they're a bit older so it's unlikely that they are going to have children not impossible though modern medicine and we don't know if they wanted children anyway but I think it is interesting you know when this news came out I was and I researched why Gustav was allowed to marry now when we hadn't been allowed to marry for such a long time my first question was like, well, what does this mean for future generations? Like, I think it's his nephews who will eventually inherit. And like, what, what does this mean for them? After doing a lot of research, because I was very confused, I think that a German will can only specify up to two heirs. So the will that was created was for Prince Richard, who died, and Prince Gustav. And as far as I'm aware, now that he's got this certificate and the two generations have gone by, he can leave it to whoever he wants. So I'm, I think that the Nazis hold over this family should now be over. <laughs> Which is a really weird sentence to yes, say. Yes, I did not expect to say this when I started this <laughs> podcast. Now they're just able to kind of live together and like throughout their relationship, one of the reasons that they won the court case is that they were able to show that she wasn't his common law wife because they spent long periods of time living apart. So like, I think throughout the entire pandemic, they were in different countries. She had her own home. In order to comply with this will, it has had an impact on them as a couple. They have been able to spend less time together than they might otherwise have wanted to. 
And so now they're able to both live in this house that they own as a married couple. And also um, everything I've read about them and their sort of like future life mentions they have four dogs. So I'm just quite happy that their four dogs can now live with their mum and dad forever rather than just clearly having to spend time with only one of them. Once somebody please think of the impact this is having on the dog's emotional health. <laughs> Do they like parent trap the dogs? Do they take like, <laughs> I need to know about what happened with the dogs during <laughs> this whole, whole thing. So that is all for this episode of the On Air podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, And if you did, please leave us five star reviews on your favourite podcast directory. We do not accept anything less than five stars. (laughs) If you enjoyed this episode, you can go back and listen to some of our previous episodes. Um, And if you've got any comments or anything you'd like us to talk about in the future, you can contact us and the details will be below in the uh, description of this episode. But for now, it is a goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Goodbye from me.